the book of Joel in the Old Testament, the book of Joel or Joel in the Old Testament, right after the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. This is a, what we call a, a minor prophet. It doesn't mean that minor in the sense of importance, uh, but it's minor in the sense of, it is a, of its length. It is small, like compared to the prophecy of Isaiah or Jeremiah. The book of Joel, towards the back of the Old Testament, the book of Joel, Joel chapter number 1. I'm glad who the Lord sets free, they're free indeed. Amen? Amen. Of course, this is Memorial Day weekend, and I do want to make a mention. I want to give a thanks to God publicly uh, for those who... Now, remember, this is not Veterans Day. Uh, these are the ones who have given all they could. We are, they are to be memorialized and, and honored and, and remembered and, and, and uh, celebrated that there is no freedom without sacrifice. There is no freedom, it seems, without loss of life. There's no freedom without... Of course, we, our minds immediately, as God's people, think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave His life so we could be set free. And so we want to give thanks to God, amen, for those who have given all they could in service to our country uh, our freedom has been bought with a price, it's been bought with shed blood, it's been bought with loss of life, it's been bought by the end of a bayonet, it's been bought with the tip of a bullet or a grenade or an explosion. And so we are, we are not speaking German today because some gave all, amen, and we thank God for that, and we uh, recognize the loss in those families and we memorialize them. Amen? Amen. The book of Joel. Let me just pray first. Heavenly Father, first we give thanks to you. Thank you, Lord, for those who have given everything they could. Lord, for the freedom that we enjoy. Lord, have us to not take it for granted. Have us, Lord, to make good use of it. And help us, Lord, to exercise all of our rights that we believe have been given to us, not by government, but, Lord, by you. That we are endowed with rights by you, our Creator. And Lord, we pray that we can continue to maintain this freedom that's come from you, this, this God-centered idea, this God-centered truth that all men are created equal, that all of us have certain rights that have not been handed down by a human hand, but have been handed down by you. These are unalienable rights and Lord, we appreciate those who died and shed their blood so we could maintain these God-given rights. And I pray, Lord, we could continue under the great idea of, these, of this America, these rights that you've given us. Lord, we're thankful for this day and what it means and how these, these souls are to be remembered and memorialized. Lord, help us now as we go into this part of the service. We pray, Lord, your word will be a great help to us. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. And Lord, I pray your word will be a great help to our lives and it will make a difference in our souls. We love you, we praise you, and thank you. In your name, Jesus, Lord, we ask these things. Amen. The book of Joel, it's, it's a, the book is actually in two parts. We're going to kind of, I guess, summarize the book. I'm going to not preach through every verse of the book, obviously. We'd be here until tonight and then enjoy our day off tomorrow here. But the book is in two parts. 
The book deals with the judgment of God, and it deals with the judgment of God and also His mercy. But the day of the Lord is mentioned several times in this book. The day of the Lord. Now, Joel is, is writing to his, in his contemporary age, he's writing to people, his country, Israel, that they've turned their backs on God. It's obvious. Now, we don't really know what they did. It's not really written in the book. But we do know that they've done something to incur the wrath of God upon themselves. They've done something that God is trying to bring them back through punishment and chastisement. So the first half of the book is, and we're going to deal with that, is how God's wrath, the day of the Lord, is sent out to His own people, that God judges His own people in an attempt to bring them back into a right relationship with Him. The second half of the book is prophetic. It starts in verse 28 of chapter 2, and we're going to get to that. But the second half of the book is the future events that Joel sees after what is happening in the current age that he's prophesying in. And so Joel is dealing with his generation, and then he looks into the future through the prophetic lens of God. He fulfills his office as a prophet. And Joel looks into the future, and he sees things that are going to come. And what he sees is another day of the Lord that is going to come. So Joel is telling his people, hey, the day of the Lord is coming. And then after that, he looks beyond his, his lifetime, and he sees another day of the Lord that is going to come. And that affects you and I. It certainly does. Now, you cannot believe it. That's fine. Who's ever believed a prophet of God? How, who, which prophet have they not stoned? And which ones have they not mocked and ridiculed? Which prophet did they finally say, even did they usually did they did they say, all right, you're right, Jeremiah, you're right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna surrender our country to the Babylonians. So that's what God there is there is rarely a time, even in this age, where anyone listens to the word of God, where anyone listens to what thus saith the Lord, where anyone has an ear to hear the truth, where anyone would ever respond to what God has to say. And I want to encourage you to do it. I want to encourage you as a Christian to begin the habit of responding to the Word of God. Believing it. Believing what God says. And living under that, that life of faith that you believe it as a reality because the Word of God is your authority to your heart, to your mind, to your body, to your soul. And I hope you take heed today what God has to say to us through the prophet Joel. Let's read in verse number 1. Remember, now this is the first half of the book. This is God's judgment to His people. So, verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye old men, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? So Joel is saying, there's something coming that your fathers haven't even experienced. Verse 3, he says, tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. So Joel is saying, what's fixing to happen to you? You need to tell it to your kids and their kids and their kids after them. In verse 4, Joel begins to describe the, the wrath of God being poured out upon his people. He's setting the precedent for judgment. We'll pick up later on. 
In verse 4, God sends a plague of insects to Israel. In verse 4, Joel says, That which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left hath the cankerworm eaten, and that which the cankerworm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come up upon my land strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my, laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. Cut the bark off the fig tree. It's, it's an infestation of bugs, locusts, and palmer worms, and canker worms, and caterpillars. And they're eating the land bare. And they're eating so much of the land that the drunkards don't even have wine from the vineyard. The vineyards are destroyed. The, the, the trees, the fig trees have been girdled. Their bark has been girdled around their tree. They're dying. They cast the branches thereof, are, and the branches thereof are made white. Look at verse 10. The field is wasted. The land mourneth. The corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languishes. Verse 12, the vine is dried up and the fig tree languishes and the pomegranate tree and the palm tree also and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withheld. All the trees of the field are withered rather. And what is Joel describing? He's describing a complete catastrophic destruction of the economy of Israel. Now, you and I probably can't really come to terms with this. We think that we, uh, we don't rely on an agricultural culture like this, and even if there was a famine in one region, we could get it shipped into another region. If there was no water in California, we could buy some crops from somewhere else. But in those days, this is catastrophic. I don't think you and I could even come to terms with the idea of how bad this really is to Israel. If we kept reading in chapter 1, even the beasts of the field are groaning. There's no food. The pastures are dried up. Verse 18, the herds of cattle are perplexed. This is an absolute judgment from God to His people. This was happening in the life of the prophet Joel. This is happening to the people in that age. Literally, God is fighting against His own people. God is he's warring against His own nation. God is bringing judgment upon His own people. He's fighting against His own people. And God has a habit of doing this. You could think of Saul, the, uh, the persecutor, before he became the Apostle Paul. Remember, Jesus met him in the way on the road to Damascus. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That God was fighting Again, making his way hard. He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He's saying, Saul, you're going the wrong way. Your way is hindered. Your way is tough. Why are you going the wrong way? And God will do that in your life too. God will make war against you to bring you back to repentance. Have you ever noticed in your life that nothing goes right, everything breaks, everything is broken, everything that was upside down becomes right side up and right side because upside down? Every move you make, it seems like there's a stumbling block along the way. Everything that used to give you joy has been removed. There's a hindrance every way you go. Could it be that God is making war against you? It could be. 
That God is trying to get you to awaken that there's a little miniature day of the Lord happening in your life right now. And maybe you've drifted away from God. Maybe your heart's grown cold against the things of the Lord. And your life maybe right now is nothing but one hindrance after another. The car breaks. The washing machine leaks in the laundry room. It ruins the floor. The roof begins to leak. You break your ankle. There's trouble going on here. Trouble going on over there. And some of you might think, well, God wouldn't do that. You don't think that God cannot use the circumstances of life to bring you to a place of repentance? If God can use insects to bring a nation to its knees, then absolutely God can use ordinary, unassuming things that aren't very threatening on their own, and God can absolutely wreck your life to wake you up. Amen? He certainly can. And that's what He's doing to this nation. He does it also in Hosea. Remember, Hosea was ordered of God to marry a harlot prostitute. And the harlot prostitute, she represented the nation Israel. And God knew that she would cheat on Hosea, that Gomer would be unfaithful to Hosea, and she was. And God said about Gomer, Hosea chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. What's God saying? I'm going to make her way hard because she is going the wrong way. And God's done that in many lives. And God's done that in my life. And I bet if you're honest, God's done that in your life too, hasn't He? That your way ain't working out as God's people because your way is not the right way. It's the wrong way. And God is judging His people. And God is doing this to awaken them. So the same God who judges, who's destroying their economy, is also a God of salvation and mercy. And God is calling them back to the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse number 12. And God says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Listen to how loving God is. And God says, Turn to me. I want you back. Come back to me. Look at verse number 17 of chapter 2. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep before the porch and the altar. Let the people say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen then should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? God is saying, I want the preachers and the priests and the prophets and those working in the temple, I want them to weep and say, Where is God? And God says, If you'll do that, look at verse number 18. If you'll turn back to me, God says, then will the Lord be jealous for His land and pity His people. Look at verse number 20. But I will remove far off from you the northern army. He'll take the bugs away. Look at verse number 23 of chapter 2. Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He hath given you the former rain moderately. Look at verse number 24 through 26. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the, and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be 
ashamed. And God is saying this, if you'll turn back to me, I'll fix it all back. If you'll turn back to me, I'll make it like the canker worm never came. If you come back to me, I'll bring so much rain, it'll make up for the time it didn't rain. So, so God's not just picking, is He? He's not a bully. He's doing this, saying, I want you to come back to me. And to prove I love you, when I'm offering you to time, I want you to come back to me. I want you to cry out to me. I want you back. I've hedged up your way. I've made your way hard because I love you too much that you might drift away from me. I don't want you to be successful drifting away from me. I don't want you to be good at it. I don't want you to prosper down the wrong path. You see it? I don't want it to go good for you if you're going a bad way. It's hard for you to go a different direction. I'll make it tough on you. I love you too much. Come back to me, he says. And if you come back to me, I'll make it like it didn't happen. I'll fix it. I'm here to tell you today that if you come back to God, He can fix it. If you come back to God seeking mercy, He can make it go away. Amen? He loves you so much to keep you from sinning successfully. And when you realize sin has been an utter disaster and a failure to your life, He loves you enough also to take the reproach away. Amen? And what, look how good God is to His people. And God, He brings destruction that He might bring restoration. And when they come back to Him, He says, I will restore you back to where you were. Amen? He is a good God, isn't He? I'm glad there's been times in my life when He's broken down every car I've had, soured every source of joy that I got from wrong places, messed up everything that wasn't good for me, just so I'd fall on my knees in repentance and say, Lord, I've been going the wrong way. And He restores me back again. Amen? He loves you too much to let you sin and be good at it. Amen? He loves you. Now Joel, though, he, he deals with his people. And what a message of judgment, but also a message of hope. But now he looks to the future in verse number 28. And so Joel, he deals with his current age. And that's a, there is a lesson here. You and I should deal, listen carefully, you and I should hear the Word of God today and deal with that today. So God says today, come to me and live. You should go to Him and live. If Jesus is tugging on your heart today and saying you're lost, you're undone, you need to be born again, you've never been saved, and He says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, you should come to Jesus Christ today for salvation. Amen? So God deals with today. And so God is dealing with Joel's generation. But God not only deals with today... He deals with our future. Amen? So God wants you right today because there is a day of judgment yet to come. Amen? There is dealing with the here and now. 
But God also wants you to recognize there's a future day you need to worry about. Amen? You know why you should come to Jesus? Because there is a future judgment that you should avoid. Amen? You know why as a Christian you should serve Jesus today? Because tomorrow will be worse if you don't follow Jesus today. Amen? So, the application. Joel's dealing with today, but he has an eye and his mind towards the future. What you do in this moment will affect eternity tomorrow. Amen? What goes on in your life right now, it'll show up later on. And so Joel, in verse 28, he looks to the future. And he says, and it shall come to pass afterward. After this. After what Joel is talking about. Now we don't know how much time that Joel is... We don't, Joel don't know how much time it'll be before, between his current situation. But Joel knows this. That there is coming a day. And Joel sees this in the future. And Joel says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Now Joel did not know when that was going to happen. But you and I know this, according to Acts chapter number 2, that this has already happened, in a sense. That the day of Pentecost fully came, and Peter was preaching full of the Spirit of God. And there was all types of people gathered around Jerusalem to celebrate with the Jews. And they gathered around for many nations and many tongues. And God's Spirit fell down upon the disciples and they began to speak in tongues. And the Bible said those who stood around said, we hear the glorious works of God in our own language. And some said, these are drunken men. And Peter said, no, we're not drunken men. This is the prophecy that was spoken unto you by the Apostle Joel. That what? That your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So this, this, listen carefully, has already happened. So what, what does it mean? There's a milestone that we've already reached. So something that Joel has mentioned has already taken place. We saw some of that this morning. Some of you ladies spoke about the wonderful works of God. Amen? Some of you young men, you talked about, you talked about how good God has been to you. And what did you say? What did Bryson say? Bryson said, basically, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Brother Danny said, I was good at living sinful until he changed my heart and gave me a new heart. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about the wonderful works of God. Amen? Sister Carolyn, she's talked about how the day, she'll never forget the day. Amen? She'll never forget the day when the Lord saved her. She once was lost, but now she's found. And she says since that day from the 70s, He's still working on me and I still rejoice in His Spirit and she still looks forward to the future. What, what are we talking about here? She's, she's talking about the wonderful works of God. She's talking about the future things to come. She's speaking about what Joel said is going to happen. So we have something that's already happened. But then you get to the book of Joel chapter number, chapter number 3. 
And Joel speaks about another event. So the context of the book, bear with me, is the judgment of God with the mercy of God extended. So God's mercy has been extended. Young, young, our daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. It was fulfilled in Acts chapter number 2. It's still going on today, but Joel sees something else in the future. So one thing he saw has already happened. Listen, one thing he saw has already happened. But Joel sees something else. Now a precedent has been set that judgment and wrath comes from God. And the precedent was set in chapters 1 and 2 that God judges people. In Joel chapter number 3, in verse number 2, Joel says, I will gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will plead with them there. And for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So Joel saw, listen, Joel saw a day when God's Spirit would be poured out upon all men. And that's happening now. Though not in its fullness, because Israel has yet to accept and mourn for the one whom they've pierced. But we've seen an earnest of expectation. We've seen a, a down payment of future events to come. So God has already began to pour out His Spirit upon all men. You say, has He really? What caused a man to turn from his wickedness and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? What caused drunkards to lay down their bottles and to walk an eye or bow a knee and confess Him as Lord of their lives? Are you not saved, those who are? What was it that happened to you? What was it that got a hold of you? What was it that stirred you and moved you? What was it that broke your heart and made your soul to mourn? It was the Spirit of the Lord. It was the Holy Ghost. What was it that drew you from darkness out of the light? What was it, Nelda? You know. I said, I'll just go on a little bit further. What is this? What am I speaking of? What is the Bible declaring? This isn't something that we can't see, that we can't see the effects of it. Though I can't see the wind, I can see it blowing the trees, can't you? I can't see God's Spirit, but I can see it working in people's lives. What is this that's going on here among us? Something's already been happening, amen? What was it that drew you to Jesus? Or rather, who was it that drew you to Jesus Christ? But Joel sees something else. So you've already testified that something's already happened. You've, there's already been a mile marker that Joel said two things are going to happen. God's Spirit shall be poured out upon all flesh. And many of you can testify. I, even Bryson himself said, what did he say? I can't even hardly explain it. I can't even hardly articulate it. You know why? It's not of Bryson. What the book of John says, chapter 1, is it verse 14? Not of the will of man, not according to the will of the flesh. No, 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 no. Not by flesh, not by might, not by wisdom, but by thy Spirit, saith the Lord. This is already happening now. And may it happen again, amen? And may it happen in the lives of my children. And may it happen in you more and more and more and spring up to everlasting life. 
that we might declare the wonderful works of God. Some people say, well, I want to prophesy. I want to declare the future. Listen, please don't think it's merely that. No, Sodomus said that he could tell the future. No, the Spirit of God is so we might declare the wonderful works of God. That's it. So something's already been happening, hasn't it? Now Joel says there's something else going to happen. Now this is the part, say, ah, that don't really affect me. But why did Joel say in chapter 1, tell it to your children, let your children tell to their children, and their children another generation? What is Joel teaching us? He's saying God has judged people before. He says that there's going to be a day when the outpouring of God's Spirit will take place. That's already been happening. And then Joel says there's going to be something that happens after that. After what? After what many of you have already testified and experienced in your heart that you say that God's Spirit drew you out of darkness into the light that God's indwelling Spirit keeps you and helps you and comforts you and, and cleanses you and guides you and leads you. What Joel is talking about is being fulfilled in some of you right now. It's happening now. This is not just some future thing. This is our contemporary age. Can, and if any one of us say that you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, then you are none of His. Some assume that Christianity is just some lifestyle that we live. It is Christ in you. The hope of glory. So this is already happening. This is already going on. Do you see it? Do you understand it? It's already something's happening. So then we could think, Joel said that God's Spirit be poured out upon all flesh, and His Spirit lives in me. And if your biblical mind is starting to work, here's what's happening. This happened. This is true. This is a reality. This is real life. To deny that would be for you to deny your Christian experience. To deny what Joel is saying to be true would be as if you denying and you saying the Spirit of God working in your life is merely an illusion. But you don't say that because that's not true. And for those who've been born again, you can testify, His Spirit saved me, it birthed me, it keeps me, it helps me, it guides me, it assures me, He changes me. This is real. A precedent is set. So let's, let's review real quick. Joel, don't you love the Word of God? I mean, I absolutely love Scripture, don't you? So Joel says, he's, he takes us back in time to where he lives. He says, hey guys, remember I told you to tell it to your children, your children's children, and that's what's happening. There was a time when God judged people, and He utterly, completely destroyed them. And then Joel said from the past, he said, hey, people, what's today's date? The end of May 2023. Hey, you all, God's going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And you and I should respond to that and say this, not only do I believe the Word of God in Acts chapter 2 that that did happen, 
But I believe it through my own experience as a child of God that is happening. That is happening today. So we must do this to the prophet Joel. We must say amen. Truly, truly you are a prophet because you said things are going to be. Lest we, we dare not stone thee because what you said thus saith the Lord is happening today. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Do you see it? Now Joel says, now here's where, here's where you and I should awaken. This outpouring of God's Spirit is evident in my life. Then Joel keeps talking and he says, I will, verse 2, Joel 3, I will also gather all nations. I'll bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will plead with them there for my people and my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and part of their land. So we say, amen, God's Spirit's been poured out. And Joel says, I see something else too. I see a day when God's going to gather all nations into a valley called Jehoshaphat. This will happen. Literally. Literally. Just as God's Spirit in the heart of a Christian being outpoured into their life, literally, not figuratively, literally has taken place. Amen? Jason, can you testify to God's Spirit working in your life? See? There, here's a, can you, Brother Billy? Amen? Can you testify of God's Spirit has worked, is working, and will work? And Joel says there's going to be a day when God is going to gather up all nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now we can say, you know what? We can start, let faith come by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We can lay hold on this because we can say from experience, amen, half of what Joel said in the future has already happened. Look at verse, verse number 14, chapter 3. Joel sees what's happening in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Multitudes, he says, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. I, I found yesterday reading this chapter some more, verse number 3, Look at, the, look at the state of, look what the culture is when that, when that happens in society. And they have cast lots for my people, have given a boy for a harlot. They traded a boy for prostitutes and sold a girl for wine. They traded girls for drugs that they may drink, they might drink. Same things going on right now, you know that? People are trading their families for sexual pleasure. People are avoiding the idea of family for the goal of sexual promiscuity. People are not getting married so they can enjoy the sensual pleasures of life. They're trading family for pleasure. Remember the other days, is it book of Timothy, chapter number 3, that in the last days men and women shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll love pleasures more than they'll love God. They'll sell their girls for drugs. They'll sell, sold a girl for wine. Kind of seems like, don't it? That, that the day of the Lord is at hand, don't it? So, so we're 2,000 years from that outpouring of God's Spirit, and here we are 2,000, a little over 2,000 years later, and we are 
still accepting by, through experience of Scripture that one half of this has already taken place. And Joel says there's going to be a gathering, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The word, it's an interesting, the word, the word Jehoshaphat, it means Jehovah judges. It, it's, we often think verse 14 is that people are in the valley and they're going to decide if they love Jesus or not. At this point, the, the valley of decision is what God is going to do. It's not what they're going to do. God is going to decide what will be done. I heard one preacher say you could call this verdict valley. This is it. This is it. The Lord's decision and not theirs. So we can say, with the certainty of Scripture, through the experience of half the prophecy being fulfilled in our own hearts as God's people, we can say this about this coming event. Amen. Amen. Briefly, the Bible speaks of the day of the Lord in Isaiah 13, 6. The Word of God says, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Did you hear that? How ye, how ye. Isaiah 13, 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay land desolate. He shall destroy, listen, he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. He'll destroy sinners out of it. You know what the end of the story is? Jesus Christ, full of love, mercy, and compassion, utterly slaughters his enemies. That's the future. Say, no, yes, yes. I'm glad I know Him. Aren't you? I'm about through. Jesus is coming to slaughter and destroy all of His enemies. You say, why would He do that? Look at verse 17 of chapter 3. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion in my holy mountain. I'm going to show you that every single mouth that has breath would know that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That every mouth, every tongue should confess, and every knee should bow that He is Lord. Why is God doing this? That everyone might say that He is Lord. Lord. Malachi 4.1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Romans 2.5 calls it the day of wrath. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 calls it the day of visitation. Revelation chapter 16, verse 14 calls it the great day of God Almighty. There is, listen carefully and I'm through, there is coming a day when every single sinner will give an account before the Lamb of God that was slain. He wins. He wins. He wins. Are you ready? That should be the next question, shouldn't it? 
If I and you believe that the day of the Lord is coming and he'll come unexpectedly and he'll come as a thief in the night and this process will get started, it'll catch people off guard and even the very elect, well, even the very elect will be confused and they, will, they won't even see what's happening. Are you ready for the day of the coming of the Lord? Because he, listen, he is absolutely coming. It's almost like this. I sent my spirit before me to prepare you the way of the Lord. And every heart who received the Lord Jesus for mercy and salvation, let them come. But when the day of grace is over with, He's coming in judgment to utterly destroy His enemies. This will happen, amen. I'm glad I can preach it and say it. That the record has been set that it's going to happen. And I believe it, amen. I believe it. What are we to do with this information? Look at verse 13 of chapter 2 and we're closing. After God judged Israel, Joel said this, rend your heart and not your garments. So don't be religious. Rend your heart and turn to the Lord your God for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. And I'm glad He is, aren't you? I was praying yesterday and I thought, I'm so tired of it all, ain't you all? Ain't you tired of it? But he's slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. What are we to do with this information? As God's people, we should consider this future day as a fact just as much as God's Spirit is a fact in your life. This is what's going to happen. And since this is going to happen, there's a lot of people we need to know, we, need, we know that we need to tell. There's a lot of children that we, that we I was going to say own, I guess in some sense we do, you know. Mothers say, I took you out of this world, I, can take, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. You're eating my food, you're under my roof, you're wearing the clothes that I bought you. But we should tell the children that we're raising, there is a day coming John the Revelator said he saw the blood up to the bridle of the horses. You know how tall that is? Pretty tall, ain't it, Austin? Pretty high up there, isn't it? Blood up to the bridles of the horses. Pretty tall. Come, all you fowl of the air, and eat. Eat, for in the valley of Megiddo there was a great slaughter. People need Jesus. Because there's a day coming that they won't survive. This world is in desperate need of Christ because there is a day coming they'll be doomed eternally forever. These are real people. This is going to be a real time and this is a real place. So what are you to do as a Christian in light of this? Rend your heart and not your garment. Live for Jesus and follow Him. Live in light of the great and terrible day of the Lord because we know it'll be a day of absolute reckoning. So knowing the terror of the Lord, let us persuade men. Let us live in light of this as a church and a people of God that we will be vindicated with all the mockery and suffering we've experienced, but there will be a day of woe like the world has never seen. Know Jesus if, you're not, if you don't know Him. Because I don't know when, and you could even die tonight. Do you know Him? Because there is a day, there is a day that is coming. The terrible day of the Lord. Let's stand to our feet.
rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God. Listen carefully to me. Today, if you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I think speed is of the essence here. If He is dealing with you, you run to Jesus, okay? If God is saying, believe on Jesus, believe on Jesus, you go to Jesus, amen. Even if the Lord's saying, I want you to go talk to Josh, go talk to Josh. You know, God can bring people in our lives that can help us and show us the way. God's done me that way. I remember one time, I need to go talk to Bunny. The devil didn't tell me to go talk to Bunny. If the Lord and the Holy Spirit say, just go talk to Josh, chat with somebody, talk to your mom, you go do it, amen. You go do it. Because Jesus loves you. This is the day of grace and mercy. He's slow to anger, but boy, when he does get angry, Dr. Adrian Rogers says that, that God's grace is like a dam that's holding back the waters of God's wrath. And one of these days, the dam will break and it'll be destruction, destruction, destruction. Flee the wrath to come, John the Baptist said. Flee the wrath to come. If you don't know Him, you know Him today. Amen? If I can help you in any way, I'd love to help you. And if you're a Christian and maybe God's hedged up your way and put roadblock after roadblock, God is fighting against you and He's saying, you come back to me and when you do, I'll restore everything that your sin has destroyed. If that's you, you come. Amen? Any need, you follow Jesus. Let's sing together.